Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now rummaging through your parents' house for super-powered items. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, we're going to be breaking down episode four of Obi-Wan and the series premiere of Miss Marvel. Plus, we're talking the first three episodes of season three of The Boys, and we're discussing another wild week in wrestling. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Alright, up first, it seems like the Joker sequel is officially moving forward. Well, it's official. We live in a society where Todd Phillips' Joker is getting a sequel. Confirmed by the director on social media, the film will be officially titled Joker Folia Do. Amongst the photos shared by the director, we saw Joaquin Phoenix reading the script confirming he will return to the role. Right now, there's no release date window, but I'm sure once things are deeper into production, we will find out more. Christian, do we know what a folly, folly ado? Is that what it's called? Yes. Do, do we know what that means? Um, it is a phenomenon in which two or more individuals, typically family members, experience an identical or similar mental disorder. Okay, interesting. Um, I'm wondering if that's a hint of what's to come in the sequel. I'm guessing that's the case. Is mm. that the official title of the film, or is that the working title? As far as I'm aware, it's the official title. But okay. I wouldn't be surprised if they changed it. <laughs> doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue, but, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Uh-huh. So I'm wondering if the film is going to focus on the movement and following that, you know, the Joker garnered in the original film. You know, since it's talking about, like, a shared psychosis was it pretty much i mean i i think you're on the right track there because there's a lot of people speculating wild things like oh it's batman or it's harley quinn but i feel like they'll stay away from that and it'll be more of like you know joker dealing with you know now having a a solidified cult following in front of him yeah like if that comes to play and you know he's achieved like celebrity like status Mm -hmm. um you know maybe like this group breaks him out um, you know, cause it, last we saw him, he was in an asylum. So, um, you know, or maybe it's a case of him like, you know, gaining a following in the asylum. I wouldn't be surprised if the whole film doesn't take place in like the mental, you know, hospital or institute, uh, similar to like the best episodes that we got of Moon Knight, you know, um, mm. where we're just kind of questioning like what's real, what's not, uh. I don't know. I'm excited for this. I, is I feel like they wouldn't be going forward, and Joaquin Phoenix wouldn't attach himself to the project if it wasn't going to be quality, or at least he believes in it, um, knowing you know what kind of artist he is. So um, I don't know. I, I loved the first Joker film. I know it's a little divisive, but um, I, I'm hoping that they don't go the route of you know bringing in fucking Batman and yeah. you know I I could do without harley quinn i mean i could see them having a harley quinn like character i just don't want to see anyone in spandex really 
you know, in this like, you know, pocket uh-huh. universe. If I saw anything like that, I would assume more it's just a delusion of his. You know, I wouldn't think that there's a person that actually exists. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe that, you know, maybe they play with that idea. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to see the Joker, you know, breaking out of the asylum and fighting a guy in a bat suit with a giant like novelty hammer. Like, I don't need that. Like, yeah. I need that in other films. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but just not in this film. All right, up next, it sounds like Marvel's Thunderbolts movie is also moving forward, and they found their director. Deadline reports in this week that the Thunderbolts are on their way to the MCU, with Jake Schreier set to direct. Schreier, best known for 2012's Robert and Frank film, will be joined by writer Eric Pearson from Black Widow. Current plans see production beginning summer of 2023, and that casting has already been underway with undisclosed actors already signed on their team, which kind of leads me to believe that this is, you know, what Valentina from Falcon and Winter Soldier was putting together all along, as we've already speculated. So, I mean, this was absolutely inevitable. Uh, Over the past, like, year, the Marvel shows have been dropping breadcrumbs. Uh, It was more of a question on, like, whether or not, like, this was going to be a series or a film. Uh, you know, I love the concept of a government run, like superhero team. And this would be the high bar, but I could see this being the MCU's version of the boys, uh, where like Marvel really like parodies itself, if you will, uh, you know, just with a lot less sex and, you know, heads exploding. Uh, but I mean, hell, (laughs) you know, everything we hear is true and Deadpool, you know, is going to remain rated R. I mean, I I feel like there's no other, like, film that deserves an R rating more than, like, a Thunderbolts film. And I'm guessing that we've seen a lot of the team's roster introduced, you know, at this point, you know, with, like, characters like, uh, you know, Widow's sister, uh, Yelena, and Zemo, and U.S. Agent. Um, I could see other, like, characters joining the fray, like, you know, Ghost from, you know, Ant-Man, you know, Taskmaster from the Widow film. Uh, you know, and I could see it as being a great way to like introduce, you know, characters that, you know, everyone's been kind of longing for to return, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, because in the comics, you've had like a Luke Cage lead the team. You've had Punisher be part of the team. So there's lots of different versions of the teams that they could really like, you know, play off of, uh, you know, it's more of a question for me, like whether or not they're going to kind of start off as, you know, like a black ops kind of unit, almost, you know, a la like Suicide Squad, or if we're going to have a situation like how the Thunderbolts were really like originally introduced, where it's going to be like a team of supervillains disguised as superheroes. I can see a version of the story where they do start off as like a government run, like Wetworks team. Um, but then they like gain like notoriety for like saving the day. Um, and then the government chooses to like put them front and center and, you know, and try to like gloss in them up and, you know, make them their version of the Avengers, you know, for the, you know, good PR. I think there could possibly be a really cool story there. But with that being said, like, who would you like to see on the team's roster? Because I think that's the fun part of this is really just like fantasy casting <laughs> the team, right? Uh huh. I think it'd be interesting to do like characters that maybe uh, they haven't played around with, like maybe even like Spider-Man characters, like Doc Ock, just 
like trying to uh, like add kind of their own uh, mech guy to their team to take in that role of Iron Man. Would this be a you know would this be the version from you know the Raimi verse or would this be a new version of Doctor Octopus? A new version, a new okay. version. Because I'm assuming we got to establish the MCU's version of all these different characters. See, I'm guessing they probably would establish him in the Spider-Man films if they could, uh-huh. if they're going to do that. But I mean, but who's to say? Maybe they feel like. Like that story has been told and this is just a great way to introduce you know the mcu version proper i mean norman osborne is a huge part of you know the thunderbolts in the comic books uh you know and his version ends up turning into like the dark avengers with him leading the team you know a- after he like saves the day uh during secret invasion uh, you know, the government basically gives him like carte blanche and, you know, he basically turns S.H.I.E.L.D. into Hammer. Um, and then, you know, his Dark Avengers, you know, are basically villains dressed up as Avengers. So, uh, you know, maybe they choose to go that route, obviously. You know, do you reintroduce uh, the MCU's version of Norman Osborn? Which I'm guessing you'd have to do because it would just be mm. too crazy to have like a multiverse, you know, William Defoe, Osborn running around and to just make sense of all that be way too much i feel like um but i I don't know i feel like they're gonna keep it a lot simpler than that you know and it's gonna be like characters that already exist in this reality even though that's a great story it just might be way too confusing at this point you know maybe somewhere down the line they you know do that if they do you know eventually introduce like you know this you know universe's version of norman osborne I just don't think they'll do that now. Or maybe they do some version of that story where, you know, they have someone else in that Norman Osborn role. I mean, Zemo would actually fit, you know, perfectly in that. And we know Zemo was the original leader of the Thunderbolts. So I feel like he's a shoe in to be part of this, even though it goes against everything that he stands for. But maybe yeah, it's was... <laughs> his way of, you know, taking down superheroes, uh-huh. you know, from the inside. That maybe eventually he's going to get the public to turn against the idea of superheroes by sabotaging, like, the government's operation. No, I like that idea. And I also like the idea of maybe Zemo is, like, sending them on these missions or while on these missions, at least, is, like, trying to get one of them killed, like, per mission (laughs) throughout the entire time. I could see that. Uh, Uh There's also another version of the team that actually had the Winter Soldier as the leader. Um, you know, begrudgingly, but he was part of the team. And we, we've mm-hmm. heard that, you know, perhaps uh, Bucky wouldn't be part of the next Captain America film, uh, but that's all hearsay. So maybe they choose to use him in, like, the Thunderbolts, you know, movie. Uh, you know, he, maybe he's the main protagonist and he's playing a game of mental chess against Zemo. Otherwise, I could see Yelena being, you know, the main protagonist. I mean, and think of a world where we get to see like Yelena and Zemo interact on screen. I think that'd be fantastic. I, I just, I, I don't know. They, they seem like they would have great like chemistry together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just mocking one another. Exactly. Alone. Right. <laughs> By the way, as you can tell, I'm really excited, you know, for this film. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing that the shows are going to be doing more groundwork over the next you know couple years until we get them to the movie and to backtrack i do feel like it'd be a cool way to reintroduce some of those netflix heroes if they choose to do so because luke cage also was a leader of the thunderbolts at one point 
So, I mean, you could have him, you know, you could have it be like a case where he's been arrested um, and they don't necessarily have to go into like all the reasons why. But the last time we saw him in the Netflix series, you know, he was basically becoming a crime boss. So maybe he gets arrested and then he's like, you know, chosen to like be part of this team. And that's how, you know, we get Luke Cage in the MCU proper. Um, and the same with the Punisher. I mean, if you don't, maybe Marvel doesn't want the Punisher on the streets, you know, mowing down criminals. But I mean, you could have him be part of this team and you could have him be the Thunderbolts version of like Deadshot. You know, where he, you know, he's forced into this. You do a little flashback sequence kind of explaining who he is and everything. Mm -hmm. You could keep John Berthal as the character, um, you know, and eventually when you do want to do a, you know, Punisher film, you've already introduced him and, you know, you've done a lot of the legwork. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily ideal, but I mean, it could still be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I, I him and Zemo on the same team, and that's madness. Uh -huh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think the Punisher would have, you know, maybe a similar outlook as Zemo when it comes to superheroics. Or he just wants to punish motherfuckers, you know? So, you know, you just have to point, you know, and aim them in the right direction. Uh, you know, but I mean, like I said, I'm really looking forward to this. All right, well, anyway, moving on, uh, the Blade film start date has been revealed. There have been rumors and reports that Blade would begin filming in July of this year. And now after a report was posted on ProductionList.com, it seems the official shoot date will be July 4th down in Georgia and New Orleans. Plus, there's been tons of speculation of having Blade be in like, you know, at the end of all these different shows to kind of possibly build up his own team. So we'll see what's going on. But for the most part, it seems like he was going to be filming. Georgia, um, New Orleans, and LA. Um, beyond that, we don't really know much more about the story. They keep it real tight over there at Marvel, you know? Uh, is this speculation just based off of him, like, showing up at the end of the uh, e Eternals movie? Yes. Because we also heard, you know, rumors that he might be showing up at the end of Moon Knight or during Moon Knight at some point. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, of course, we've got the Werewolf by Night um, special coming out. Is that coming out this year or is that next year? I think it's this year, the Halloween special. Is it this year? Man, you would think we'd have a trailer at this point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, I mean, I mean, I'm all for that. But I could also see them holding off, you know, for that, you know, him like putting together his own like Midnight Suns uh, team until after, you know, his film. Yeah, I definitely feel like that would be, you know, a result of whatever happened in his film, you know? Yeah, that makes more sense to me. Because I just can't see them introducing him and then a whole like cast of supernatural heroes you know all uh -huh. at once <laughs> that feels like a bit much well christian last but not least it sounds like the scream franchise is ready to start a brand new chapter finally with Neff campbell not returning for the next film. The folks over at Bloody Discussing reported that Nev Campbell will not be returning in any capacity to Scream 6. But don't let that news bring you down, Campbell fans, as Jenna Ortega, newer star in the Scream franchise, claims Scream 6 is to be the bloodiest of them all as she discussed the film with Entertainment Tonight. Um, she stated Ghostface gets a lot more intimidating. I just read part of the script and it just gets more and more gory. I think that this is probably the most aggressive and violent version of Ghostface we've ever seen. Scream 6 is currently slated for a March 31st release in 2023. 
So I know a lot of fans might be disappointed, uh, but I, for one, have been ready for the franchise to kind of move on from the original core group for quite a while now. Um, you know, they did a great job of introducing new characters last uh, film uh, and, you know, a brand new storyline with, you know, Billy Loomis's daughter being like the main protagonist. Uh, I'm guessing that, you know, that's probably the route story-wise they're going to go. That's going to be really more of a question of whether or not she can keep her demons at bay or, you know, whether she's going to follow in her father's footsteps. I mean, I will say as someone who is less of a fan of Scream, I think I'm a, I'm more interested now knowing that, you know, more of the older characters are no longer going to be a part of this series. Like, I'm more interested to see what they're going to do with a newer cast with Scream, especially with the way she described it being way more intense this uh film around but that's you know good pr yes i, I feel like they say that <laughs> literally every film uh -huh. so um but with that being said we might not be out of the woods just yet because i do think i believe we talked about it actually uh -huh. courtney cox is going to be part of the film in yes. some kind of capacity i mean maybe it's just going to be a glorified cameo uh maybe they turn her into like the franchise's version of dr loomis where maybe she's on this like quest for vengeance uh, and just putting a stop to Ghostface finally, even though it's not the same character every film, but just in the name of like, you know, the dearly departed Dewey, um, you know, who knows? R.I.P. Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> they did kind of do him dirty, though. I will say that. So <laughs> it was a really depressing ending for that character. But I am intrigued, you know, by what direction they end up taking, uh, you know, this sequel. Uh because even with, you know, some lackluster sequels, I'm such a big fan of the original that I'm just hoping that they eventually get things back on track and, you know, return the franchise to its former glory. All right, Christian, well, we also have a trailer to react to. Uh, this week, the Black Adam trailer dropped. Black Adam. What have your powers ever given to you? Nothing but heartache. I was a slave until I died. Then I was reborn a god. My son sacrificed his life to save me. Now, I kneel before no one. All right, Christian, what were your thoughts on this? Well, Damon, uh, I like seeing a superhero that's just willing to absolutely kill indiscriminately. But it <laughs> <laughs> says uh, a lot about you, Christian. By uh -huh. the way. Well, that's my that's my, always my favorite stories about Superman, which is always when he goes evil. It's it's when he turns to the dark side and that's the kind of character we see. I always find that way more interesting than any other Superman story. And that's kind of how this looks, which, which once again says a whole lot about. <laughs> I like it when Superman's killing motherfuckers. <laughs> that's what I like. I like my Superman murdery. Now, Black Adam doesn't look like he's trying to change the world into his own image. I don't know what his exact goal in this film is based off of this trailer, but uh, it seems like he's trying to be a hero in his own way. <laughs> or maybe he's like, you know, at a crossroads. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I, I could kind of see that. I mean, we get a brief little bit of origin, you know, for Black Adam. I mean, this is very much a teaser trailer still, which I appreciate. Like, I don't need to see the whole fucking movie. And I feel like DC has been guilty of that in the past with their trailers. Oh, absolutely. Where they, like, literally just show us everything um, except for, like, you know, the end credit scene. Uh, so I, I'm glad that they're going this route. I mean, this film mm. is only months away, right? It's October. Um, yes. So it's right around the corner, and it, it did get pushed back, right? It was, it was originally supposed to be coming out this summer. I yeah, it was, I think it was um, going to come out in July, and then okay. they pushed it back. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, this looked fun to me. I mean, The Rock looks like a super badass as Black uh -huh. Adam. I mean, he's probably the most believable casting <laughs> as a superhero since he is literally an action figure come to life. But yeah, we see that Black Adam's a, a hero and I use that term loosely, uh, that doesn't have the same moral code as a, you know, Superman or Wonder Woman, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he has no qualms in, you know, killing someone if that's what it takes to get the job done. And it sounds like he's probably on the path of vengeance right now. I mean, what we saw in an earlier teaser was it seems like he's being awakened. Um, you know, so I don't know if this is, you know, after what, takes place with his son um or if he's already this godlike being or if somehow he's put in stasis for you know you know decades or however long and this movie is about him awakening and reacting to where society's at now in this trailer we do see more of the justice society uh with like pierce brosnan playing dr fate uh we see hawkman and we see um adam smasher uh, running through the city. I mean, they're just like brief little scenes. We do mm -hmm. get a moment with Hawkman preaching kind of to Black Adam that, you know, heroes don't kill. And then, you know, Adam just coldly says, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Which feels like he doesn't really give a shit about being a hero. And maybe that's what this film is about, is like his journey, you know, to more of a heroic path. But I mean, if he's anything like his comic book counterpart, He's always going to walk that fine line. You know, Black Adam's definitely not a, a true hero in the mm -hmm. comics. So, And you know they're going to want to do, like, Shazam versus Black Adam, like, at some point. Oh, eventually, yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that, you know, coming into play. It only mm -hmm. makes sense. So, um, from the dialogue, also, it sounds like Dr. Fate is trying to kind of guide Adam, you know, on his, you know, path. And that the destiny of humanity really depends on what road Adam chooses to go down. Mm -hmm. And while the film seems like it's going to have a more serious tone compared to Shazam, I mean, there is, you know, a comical moment where <laughs> Adam just uppercuts a person, you know, and they go literally flying yes. a couple miles. <laughs> Instead of just exploding, of course, because that's really what would happen if you uh -huh. had someone with that kind of force. But, you know, this isn't the boys. So uh, so I'm wondering, like, exactly how much comedy we are going to get, you know, in this film. Or is it just going to be touches like that moment? I mean, the only moment in the trailer that left me, like, confused was the opening sequence where we see someone that looks similar to The Rock being put into, like, this, like, liquefied chamber. And I... I don't know what's going on there at all. 
And that that obviously feels like it's taking place in the present. So I have yeah. no clue. We don't know what he's going up against in this, right? Like, there's been a, no announced villain, per se. No. Mm-hmm. Like, we know that we have a lot of, like, you know, heroes from the Justice Society, but I don't believe they announced a villain. So so maybe that scene has something to do with that. I have no clue, though. That that did stick out to me, though, also. But, I mean, for as for a trailer, I mean, that was really it. It was just more of just showing what a badass Black Adam really is. I mean, uh-huh. he's, he's punching fucking jets. <laughs> he's catching <laughs> missiles, shooting lightning. I mean, what more could you really ask for, right? And like I said at the top, I, I really hope this is all we get. And they are actually, you know, keeping kind of more of the plot and story under wraps. And we could actually genuinely be surprised, you know, what this film is actually about when it does come out. Uh, I doubt that. You know, no, since yeah, there's they, like four months still left <laughs> to go. But I mean, I, I was impressed with the fact that this was really just more of a teaser. As long as there's not like one of those Dawn of Justice trailers where it was literally the entire third act in their trailer. You know? Oh, that's true. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when does this come out again, Christian? That would be October 21st later this year. Well, Christian, speaking of a darker look at the superhero genre, uh, we had the first three episodes of The Boys drop this past week. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for The Boys season three ahead. You have been warned. I am very excited for everyone to meet the real me. There's something wrong with Homelander. There's something broken. He's lost his fucking mind. All right. Goddamn, Christian. I love this show. Um, (laughs) We're we're not going to go into, you know, full spoilers or anything. We just want to briefly talk about the first three Mm -hmm. episodes. Uh, Once the season's completely done with, we'll come back and do a full review. Um, You know, unless, you know, fans want us to do full breakdowns, which then it'll be up to Christian. <laughs> I'm sure you could guilt him into it, though. You know, reach Beg. out to us on a social media at Amazing Nerd Show if that's what you want. You know, let your voices be heard. I love torturing Christian a little, so uh-huh. <laughs> I'm all for it in the name of torture. But with that being said, Christian, what was your thoughts on the first three episodes of The Boys? Season three. You know, I'm always surprised by this show's pacing, like how much they're able to get like actually accomplished per episode. Because, like, what they showed off in the trailer is pretty much all you get in these first three episodes. Uh, they don't, you know, they didn't spoil anything there. And it's just a lot. There's a lot of story there. There's so many, like, little elements that I didn't think were going to, you know, come to fruition until way later on in the season. And I'm not going to spoil any of that here. But it there's, there's moving parts here that just happen out of nowhere and they just keep going no i agree 100 percent. i mean they are servicing a lot of different characters mm-hmm. and a lot of different storylines and they're doing it masterfully and it might be one of the stronger elements of the show that doesn't really get like talked about much because i mean we've seen a lot of other series struggle with that mm-hmm. but the boys do it so seamlessly like i never lose track on you know where different characters are at and what they're up to. The storylines are all so well integrated. Mm -hmm. Um, It just has a really good flow to it, like every episode. And partially because of this, I can't remember a bad episode of The Boys, honestly. It's gone on to low-key be one of the best, like, 
things going on in the superhero genre right now when it comes to like TV and film. But anyway, light spoilers ahead. Uh, when we catch up with our crew, we see that a lot of them are working within the system to carry on their mission. Uh, you know, even the butcher is playing nice right now. Uh, he's working with the CIA, uh, but you know, he's not being his usual rambunctious, bloodthirsty self, uh, at least not yet. Uh, Dewey is working for uh, the senator. What, Christian, what's her name? I know she's got two names. Uh, Spoilers. Victoria <laughs> is her name? Victoria. She works for uh, the Federal Bureau of Superhuman Affairs. There we go, right? And, you know, <laughs> we found out last season that she actually has powers herself. Yes. Uh, you know, and she's the one who's been stirring the pot in the background the entire time. Starlight is still with the Seven, uh, and she's become their most popular member. To the chagrin of uh, Homeland, who is pretty unhinged after the events of last season. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, and it, that goes also for, you know, the Butcher. We see that he's kind of, you know, starting to lose his mind. I mean, I mean, he was pretty off his rocker before, but I mean, there's a lot of parallels being played between the Butcher and uh, Homelander. So um, we see that Vought has really been able to keep Homelander underneath their thumb, uh, you know, with everything happening last season uh, with him, you know, dating a fucking Nazi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's been an absolute like PR nightmare for him. And he's been on this apology tour pretty much. Uh, you know, trying to get, you know, back in the public's good graces. But just like with every season, I mean, the story is being set up as kind of like a powder keg situation where it's just, you know, you're just waiting for things to explode. Uh, and we pretty much get to that point uh, with the third episode. A wrench is pretty much thrown in everyone's like storyline. Uh, you know, and they're kind of taking off, you know, their beaten path, start having to make some difficult decisions and choices. And I do like that even there was a point where Butcher was coming to the, like his senses feeling like, you know, Dewey was doing the right thing. And then that's when shit hits the fan. That's when the truth comes out that they have to, you know, get back into the grime and dirtiness of yeah, it all. You could absolutely see the glee just completely like wash over him as he doesn't even hesitate and he just jumps back you know right away into his uh -huh. old ways uh you know and it, it's like he already had everything you know a contingency plan you know worked out on what exactly he wanted to do the entire time uh i mean the show is as depraved and fucked up as always um and somehow finds new ways to get even more depraved and fucked up yeah um, i mean there's even more like you know heads exploding this season than ever before <laughs> i mean just as you think that the show can't get any more outrageous it finds a way to outdo itself they pretty much give us you know the fan fiction scenario of how like ant-man could take out uh thanos uh, uh -huh, in infinity uh, -huh. uh war uh you know right in like pretty much the first 15 minutes of the third season uh, which I thought was pretty spectacular. All the while giving us like a good dose of like social commentary and still like finding ways to stay relevant and like on top of like current events. Uh, you know, I, I just love it every second 
you know, of the third season so far. And I'm looking forward to see like where they take us, you know, by the end of the season. Absolutely. Cause, uh, I don't know how much further they can go. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> they it's always crazy. find a way though. Right. <laughs> I know. And it, by the end of that third episode, it's clear that all of our characters are going to go to a darker place than maybe we've seen in the past two seasons. Like, I feel like they probably have a writer's room where they just workshop, you know, and brainstorm uh-huh. like fucked up shit. <laughs> and then they just take said fucked up shit and find a way to like insert it in the story. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I still feel like it's the most realistic look at what society would be like with superheroes, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, how Anthony Starr isn't getting, like, every villain role out there, I don't know. Like, his Homelander this season specifically is just as unhinged as possible. And he's somehow more terrifying than he was the past two seasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean, he's pretty much the evil Superman that you've been dreaming about, right, Christian? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really looking forward to see how everything plays out with, you know, the Soldier Boy character and like this universe's version of the Avengers, pretty much. It's going to be fun if, you know, if it does actually play out the way I think it's going to play out and we actually see like some kind of like showdown between Homelander and Soldier Boy and how Homelander handles a character who's not only you know, almost as powerful as him, but also as beloved. I know the team name Payback is like their play on the Avengers, but it just, I don't feel like it works as a team name (laughs) at all. It bothers me every time they say it. But honestly, you're at this point, you're just used to the name Avengers. Because if you think about it, it's kind of a lame name too, right? It's But it rolls off the tongue better. Like, oh, look, there's Payback. I I don't know, man. (laughs) It does feel very like 90s comic book-ish to me. Mm-hmm. Like it'd be like Rob Lightfield's like, you know, newest project or something. But anyway, like I said, we'll be back, uh, you know, once the season ends with full reviews. All right, Christian, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into our breakdown for episode four of Obi-Wan. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series ahead. You have been warned. just found out what they're hiding down here. This place isn't a fortress. It's a tomb. Episode four picks up with Obi-Wan, you know, being taken to a Bacta tank on Jabim, pretty much the final destination of the path that Tala guides people to. Inside this tank, Obi-Wan, along with Vader, seems to be sensing one another across the galaxy while reliving their haunting interaction from last week. This jolts Obi-Wan, you know, back to full consciousness as he asks Tala, where is Leia? I thought this was a cool scene, but I was a little disappointed that we didn't get any like flashback sequences here. And I don't know if it's just a case of, you know, the Book of Boba Fett really just training me into thinking that, you know, the back to tank equals, you know, flashback sequences. Uh, But I thought, like, there's an opportunity here to really, like, you know, dive deeper into the past, you know, and get some, like, cool, like, Clone Wars callbacks. Yeah, I'm surprised that this show wasn't, you know, giving us more screen time of actual Hayden Christensen. Like, I know he's in the Vader suit, mm-hmm. but like, and, and we've gotten that one moment where he's in a field, but I'm surprised he hasn't had like any actual speaking lines in front of us just yet. Yeah. And I mean, we still have two episodes to go. So hopefully mm-hmm. he gets a couple moments to shine because <laughs> otherwise it just feels like fan service for the sake of fan service. Cause besides yeah. that one vision Obi-Wan had on that planet, 
um, where he sees Anakin, you know, in his Jedi robes and everything like that, staring at him ominously. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, otherwise, what was the point of casting him? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Honestly, I'm hoping that we get to see more of, like, Order 66 play out at the Jedi Temple. Um, you know, and maybe we get a flashback sequence when it comes to, like, uh, Reva's origin story. And we see just exactly why she hates Obi-Wan so much. And you could use Anakin as a catalyst to tell that story. Leia, who was captured in last week's episode by Reva, is in the center of the Inquisitor's base on Nur. Reva enters looking to get some information out of Leia, telling her to abandon all hope as Obi-Wan is dead and no one is coming to save her. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan and Tala seem to struggle to convince a fellow path member, Roken, to help find Leia, who knows the location of the path and could possibly bring the entire Empire down on them. But ultimately, Roken sees aiding them as an opportunity he didn't have when the Empire killed his wife. So Tala, Obi-Wan, Roken, and a couple of T-47 speeder pilots then begrudgingly plan to sneak into the Inquisitor's fortress. I really enjoyed this moment between uh, Obi-Wan and Roken and just... You know, I thought it did a great job of shedding light on just how vicious and how far Vader and the Empire are willing to go to snuff out, you know, the Jedi. Just the fact that they're not only taking out, you know, pre-existing Jedi, Jedi who like served during the Clone Wars, but they're going after anyone who's force sensitive. Join them or die. On the way there, we see Obi-Wan struggling to use the Force like he once you know, was capable of, which Tala notices and claims more than Obi-Wan's body needs to be healed. The traumas of his past are kind of scarring his mind and you know, disconnecting him from the Force. Yeah, I mean, this was a moment to really just serve the purpose of showing that Obi-Wan is operating at like, you know, less than 50% right now and he's got a lot of rust to shake off mm. uh this was also around the time when i realized that this was also around the time that i realized that tala is actually from game of thrones yes right <laughs> i don't know why it took me so long but i was like oh wait a second i know her funny enough she's um oberyn's wife i believe which is played by pedro pascal well i think she's doing a great job with the role and i'm hoping that she makes it out of the series alive so, because there was a few moments this episode where I didn't think that was going to be the case at all. Oh, yeah, I saw death flags immediately. <laughs> we cut inside the fortress as Reva struggles to interrogate 10-year-old Leia. Leia continues deflecting and asking about Obi-Wan and just outright tells Reva that she's not going to be compliant. Even when Reva goes as far to use the Force to try and probe her mind, in which it seems Leia can easily combat that with her own Force sensitivity. I love this scene. I mean, Leia is such a little badass. Uh -huh. um, you know, the whole line about, like, is this a staring contest? <laughs> was pretty fucking amazing. Uh, this has just been great casting on all fronts, honestly, with this show. Uh, you know, she really feels like a younger version of Carrie Fisher. Landing on Nur, Tala attempts to use her Imperial disguise to get into the inner workings of the fortress. And somehow her cover is yet to be actually blown as she gets past the security checkpoint while putting a guard in his place, claiming she has news for the Grand Inquisitor. I love that a running theme throughout all of Star Wars is just how god awful the security is for the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I mean, they did try to play it up a little, you know, before this scene, when they're talking about infiltrating the Inquisitorium, that like security's not that great because they've never had a reason 
to fear anyone trying uh -huh. to infiltrate it. But once again, this moment falls into like this long lineage of, you know, heroes, you know, be able to easily like infiltrate Imperial bases or ships. Like, <laughs> like I, it pretty much happens every show, every film, right? Yes. Every single one. Like even the fact that like Saw Guerrero, and I know this isn't his time yet, but like by the time episode four comes out, you know, with Saw Guerrero running around doing terrorist attacks on a regular basis, why isn't everything just perfectly shielded by now? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> they have the technology. Uh -huh. I mean, with your, you know, stormtroopers <laughs> and your officers so easily fooled, you think they would just have like droids manning all these stations. Yes. <laughs> with Tala now inside, this creates an opening for Obi-Wan to swim to an underwater entry point and then begin sneaking around as he starts taking out troopers and evading Imperial seeker droids. Tala is also faced with her own struggles as her cover is nearly blown once more as she sits stationed where an Imperial of her class would not be. But she ultimately kills the man who notices that she's out of place and seemingly does it out of sight of the other Imperials. I don't know why, but with like, the difference, knowing the difference between like clone troopers and stormtroopers at this point in time, knowing that they're just like enlisted men, for some reason, it feels more evil having Obi-Wan just walk around choking out and killing these guys. I know that they have some bad intentions, but they're not as like programmed to be evil as like the clone war, uh, the clones were during Order 66. No, I mean, you're not wrong, because if you think about it, like... Who's to say, like, some of these troopers aren't just, like, T Talia, you know, mm -hmm. who, you know, got caught up in, you know, the idea of the Empire and then, you know, soon to realize exactly what their intentions really are, but are just kind of, like, stuck in a situation that they can't get out of. So, I mean, you're 100% not wrong. But if you start thinking about it in that perspective, it just makes this whole series and franchise feel a <laughs> lot less fun. So... <laughs> So I'm just going to continue, you know, thinking about the Stormtroopers as just evil henchmen. Fair enough. Fair enough. Before we move on, we have a quick word from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I realized gamer foods like energy drinks and chips weren't all that nutritional. I hated taking vitamins as well and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. And luckily with AG1, I've found a tropical flavored blend that I drink every single morning. Well, Christian, that's because with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging. You know, all of the things. I even have my family hooked on it, Christian, and they love it. We're even making sure to take it with us on vacation this summer. Your subscription comes with a year supply of vitamin D, which is important for a recluse streamer like me that admittedly doesn't get enough sunlight. And let me tell you, I've never slept better. And that's because AG1 supports better sleep quality along with mental clarity and alertness. And you also have to love the price. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and that's cheaper than buying all the supplements yourself. And we're not 
not alone in loving Athletic Greens because currently they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Back in the interrogation room, Leia's droid attempts to surprise attack Reva, but she catches it instead and tells of a time when she herself had a droid before everything was taken from her. Reva continues to try and drag information out of Leia, but Leia continues to call Reva's bluffs, forcing Reva to resort to more violent measures, having stormtroopers strap her to a torture machine in a room similar to what we have seen in Jedi Fallen Order that we know that they use to torture Jedi into this kind of indoctrination process of becoming an Inquisitor. So at this point, I feel like Reva still hasn't shown her full hand and that she's still working like some kind of angle that we haven't just been like clued in on. Um, mm. But goddamn, man, like <laughs> she is so driven. The fact that she's going to resort to like child torture. I mean, it's pretty fucked up. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not even sure why she feels like you know, Leia has all this information at this point. I mean, I guess there was like subtle nods and like looks off that might show that Leia has some type of information. But even I got confused at first. I forgot that like they told her exactly where everything was. So at a certain point, I was like, yeah, Leia doesn't know anything when I was watching it. Yeah. But then when I, uh, going back, I was like, oh, yeah, they actually did tell but her. But it's not like this is where this is. Yeah, but it's not like a working. Not, you know, it's not like she has True. all the details and everything. Doesn't have a map to it. Exactly. Yeah. For all she knows, she's just a 10 year old, you know, being kind of like, you know, ushered through the path, you know, to get home. And that's it. Listen, Reva's, you know, interrogation skills were all over the place anyway. She was playing good cop and bad cop throughout the entire time. So <laughs> that is true. And I'm wondering if part of it is if she doesn't see a younger version of herself in, you know, Leia. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan strolls into the wrong corridor as he discovers one of the many mysteries of the Fortress Inquisitoris. Here we see what seems to be a tomb filled with the Jedi that the Inquisitors and Vader have killed. Here we see masters and younglings alike frozen in place in this kind of orange substance. Holy shit. I was not prepared for this moment. Like, this is some straight up, like, serial killer shit here, right? Like, he's displaying yes. his trophies. And I mean, a lot of people were saying online, like, oh, well, they're probably saving the bodies for experiments and everything, knowing that the Emperor, you know, has a pension for cloning. But at the same time, there's no reason to pose them in fucking tanks. Like, he's straight up posing that, you know, a lot uh -huh. of these Jedi, like, especially that youngling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's some fucked up shit, Christian. Oh, yeah. That kid looked like he just saw the lightsaber ignite. Yes. Like, that. Yeah. Like, let's not beat around the bush. Like, this is a trophy room. <laughs> It's pretty fun. And then if you look above, like, the bigger tanks, there's, like, smaller tanks. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, are those all younglings up there? 
I don't know, man. <laughs> Pretty fucking sinister. Also, during this scene, we see a couple Jedi who look familiar. One seems to be Terrace Sanuba, uh, who was in a couple episodes of The Clone Wars. One episode in particular, uh, he goes and helps Ahsoka retrieve her lightsaber. There's another corpse that we kind of see off in the distance that could possibly be a Jedi Master who serves on the council, but I can't think of their name right now, so forgive me, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was actually surprised that we didn't see more familiar Jedi, honestly, yes. uh, in this moment. But, I mean, that might have been just too traumatizing for people. Well, I was almost expecting to see uh, Jocasta New, the uh, librarian. Like, I thought that would definitely be on display. I don't know. I was just so taken aback by this moment that I couldn't even wrap my head around on what that exactly was going down. <laughs> so <laughs> that would have been cool, but it is what it is. Uh Still a pretty chilly moment. I mean, just the fact that he posed that youngling to look like what he looked like when, you know, Attican sparks up his lightsaber during Order 66. <laughs> it's pretty fucking messed up, man. Like, he's choosing to, like, relive that moment over and over uh, again every time he walks down this hallway. Probably skipping. <laughs> <laughs> While Obi-Wan is just, you know, horrified by what he's seeing here, we would hear Leia screaming out in the Force, prompting him to have, you know, Tala kind of make a distraction before Reva can fully torture Leia. Tala and her distraction seems to be having Reva meet up with her and to try and give her some fake information on the path that Reva kind of sees through and kind of thinks it's all bullshit, but playing this kind of masterful spy game, Tala keeps the conversation going while covering for herself. Yeah, I was surprised that Tala made it out of this scene alive. I really was expecting Reva just to force choke her out, you know, mm. here. But once again, maybe Reva did actually want them to escape, knowing what we know at the end of this episode. All the while, Obi-Wan turns off the lights in the torture chamber and executes the stormtroopers keeping guard. Though once Leia is freed, Obi-Wan and her get spotted by a seeker droid as they try to make their escape, setting off the alarms. Obi-Wan at the same time seems to be coming more into his force abilities as he dispatches more and more stormtroopers while protecting Leia. I will never not be a six-year-old when like someone pulls out a fucking lightsaber. You know, when we get uh -huh. to see a Jedi in action. <laughs> so I loved every moment of the sequence. So, and I think you're right, like, this is really showing you that, you know, Obi-Wan is, you know, starting to, like, you know, get back to form, uh, you know, perhaps getting ready for an eventual showdown with Vader again at the end of the series. Obi-Wan is able to get some of the blast doors shut before a purge trooper-led squad can reach them, but this underwater hallway's windows have been damaged by blaster fire as Obi-Wan finds himself having to hold back the ocean using the force while Tala takes Leia to safety. While Obi-Wan continues to struggle with the water trying to get in, the Purge Troopers and Stormtroopers break their way through, and Obi-Wan uses the Force to then just crack the rest of the windows, killing the troopers as he escapes behind another pair of blast doors. Now, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see any of the Purge Troopers actually in action, because, I mean, these guys are trained to hunt down and kill Jedi. So I, I thought it was a little disappointing that they didn't at least get a little bit more of a fight against Obi-Wan, but I do know he's not, like, fully there yet anyway. Now, the Purge Troopers are straight from the video game. Like, do they show yes. off their hiding skills? like in the game? Yeah, I mean, they have like a, a lot of different classes, similar weapons to how like uh, General Grievous's uh, like uh, droid guards had, where they are able to fight against a lightsaber and everything. Um, so, I mean, 
they are formidable. Like if you get stuck in a room with multiple, you can easily get killed. I mean, a Jedi can struggle against these guys. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like I love that they keep on introducing like these different versions of stormtroopers uh, and these different classes skill wise. But like there comes a time where you need to actually show exactly what, you know, makes these troopers special compared mm -hmm. to the others. And I feel like they really haven't done that yet. Because, I mean, if you think about it, like even in Rogue One with the, like, the death troopers, like, you know, they looked badass, but what did they really do? Nothing. They just marched. <laughs> now attempting to get back to their ship, Leia hides under the, an Imperial jacket that Obi-Wan's wearing to kind of blend in. And while they're able to walk right past two Inquisitors, Reva still stops them right before they can actually reach their ship. But in just the nick of time, our two speeder pilots, Wade and Sully, come blasting into the hangar, creating the opening they need. I mean, just the incompetence of this entire like. <laughs> base the fact that obi-wan was sneaking out with a child in a trench coat like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and no one seemed to notice but reva i mean just absurd but whatever I, I i thought it was awesome while sully is able to pick up obi-wan tala and leia wade stays back a little bit to keep reva busy with laser fire which unfortunately gets him killed as Reva throws some explosives right at Wade's speeder. Vader arriving at the fortress is justifiably angered by what's happened and immediately starts force choking Reva, but she saves herself for another day as she informs him, you know, between struggling to breathe, that she placed a tracker on Kenobi. I really enjoyed this moment, like seeing Vader's rage on full display, just how horrifying he is. <laughs> Although I did kind of question whether or not he would be so forgiving knowing, you know, his grudge against Obi-Wan and the fact that he like literally was able to infiltrate their base and escape with Leia <laughs> from right underneath his nose. Yeah, she really uh she really messed up that one, but at least, you know, she explained that she put a tracker on them. And it does kind of feel like that was her angle, like she was planning on letting them go so they could use this to snuff out the path since it's been, you know, such a safe haven for Jedi. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because like, how did Tala get to Leia and Obi-Wan before she did? You know, like, how did she hang back so much when they came from the exact same room, you know? No, that's true. I mean, regardless, with Reva, we've only got two episodes left, so they've got a whole lot of storytelling to do, you know, with mm -hmm. this character. So I'm expecting to get some kind of flashback sequence in the next episode, um, you know, just kind of explaining her motives. As our heroes mourn the death of Wade, we find out exactly where the tracker is, as Leia's droid activates with red eyes, having been reprogrammed by Reva to close out this week's episode. I did think there was a nice little moment here, too, between Obi-Wan and Leia, you know, where she reaches out to him and holds his hand, kind of cementing their bond and also explaining why she would so desperately be seeking him out, you know, in a new hope for help. Mm. All in all, I really enjoyed all the action we got in this episode. Um, it was fun watching Obi-Wan kind of like get back in the saddle again and, and get to go on a good old-fashioned rescue mission yeah i like a i like a lot of the seeds that they're planting here like with that with the path area it really felt like we're getting a glimpse of the earliest version of the rebellion you know uh i liked what we saw from obi-wan kind of growing back into his abilities though i i do think i still liked our idea better where he's kind of getting you know voices from other people uh that kind of bring him together by the end you know and that's what he gets all of his abilities back well i do think that's going to be an element in the story 
story. I feel like mm-hmm. Qui Gon is going to be like you know the one who gives him that like that final pep talk, you know, <laughs> before he goes off and battles Vader. Uh, you know, he'll be you know his Mickey to you know Obi Wan's rock. I hope it's not a situation kind of like Harry Potter, where Harry Potter's parents just randomly showed up next to him at the end of the big battle, kind of like there. <laughs> I don't think it'll be a situation like that because okay. if you think about it, it makes sense since Obi Wan is getting more in tuned, you know, again with the Force that he would eventually be able to finally, you know, see you know the Force ghost of Qui Gon. And now with there kind of being rumors floating around that this there could be a second season to Obi-Wan, I'm kind of wondering, like, what what story drags on from this to a second season if they were to do one? I mean, I have no clue. I always was thinking of this as just a limited series. So I was surprised when that rumor started floating around. And, you know, maybe it's just a rumor. Uh, but I mean, there's plenty of meat on the bone. If they do want to, you know, give us a second season, I'm definitely not opposed. Because if you think about it, like, you know, they're kind of telling a Leia story now. You know, what's to say if they don't like kind of dive into the Luke of things, you know, next season. Um, And, you know, we see an adventure and kind of build on Obi-Wan and Luke's, you know, relationship, you know, between the two. And if anything, like, since I'm still under the impression that the Grand Inquisitor isn't dead, if he shows back up by the end of the show, that could be the next you know, big, you know, next villain chasing him, at least. Yeah, because I still feel like Reva is not making it out alive no. here. <laughs> so, <laughs> and whether that's going to be at the hands of, you know, the Grand Inquisitor, you know, who's going to all of a sudden make a huge comeback or, you know, Vader is yet to be seen. But hey, we're only a couple episodes away from the finale anyway, so we'll find out. Tune in next week as we break down the fifth episode. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big hairless winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best, biggest, ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader below the waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow. Nothing makes you feel more platinum than having your hygiene in check. And with convention season upon us, you're going to want to make sure you're smelling good and feeling good while you wait in line. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. They've designed this package to allow you to fully align your entire hygiene routine with their elite products. Inside this Platinum Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo Plus Conditioner, Ultra Premium Deodorant, Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, Anti-Chafing Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag to hold your goods 
while traveling. The Lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer and weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin safe technology to protect your delicate parts and holes. Both are actually water resistant so you can shave with less mess. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with an ultra premium body wash and ultra premium 2-in-1 plus conditioner. You'll have your skin and hair feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. And don't forget to apply their aluminum-free ultra-premium deodorant for that cologne-quality scent on the go. Thankfully, their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve this problem for you. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Platinum Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers and Shed Travel Bag bring your comfort and boxers to another level. The Platinum Package 4.0 covers all bases from head to toe. It's the best bang for your shebang. So listeners, get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using our code 20NerdShow. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. Well, also this past Wednesday, we had the premiere episode of another series with the MCU's Miss Marvel. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Miss Marvel series ahead. You have been warned. Really? 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 <laughs> yes, but there are special conditions. Your Abu will drive you there and he will go inside with you for two hours. And as far as your dressing goes, I have a surprise for you. The Hulk! <laughs> wait, wait, best is yet to come. Ta-da! In episode one of Miss Marvel, we get introduced to Kamala Khan in a new interpretation of her origin story. While she is not an inhuman in the MCU, she keeps most of her comic book counterparts characteristics as we open the show with a fun retelling of Endgame based off Kamala's research of the Battle of Earth and the last known moments of Captain Marvel on Earth, which is a great way to show off her fandom for, you know, the Avengers and Captain Marvel as a whole, as this is on full display here, as she made this animated short for YouTube. So also quickly, uh, you know, at this point, we don't know whether or not like we're going to do a full breakdown for this series episode by episode, um, just because I don't know how much there is to really analyze, you know, when it comes to like the MCU and also because I don't want to completely burn out Christian. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are going to do weekly reviews until it feels like maybe, you know, the episodes do warrant like a complete breakdown. But anyway, with that being said, I felt like the first 10 minutes was a great introduction to the style and structure of the show. I really love how the series so far feels like a living, breathing comic book. Like you could really see each one of these scenes being within like panels on a comic book page. I just love that all these MCU shows stylistically are uniquely different. Um, it's something that I hope that the films start doing more of. You know, I agree with that. I really want to see you know, these films take a little bit more liberty with like how they, you know, actually shoot them. Because like I've been talking about, like each like big MCU film that comes out now just kind of has this same polish to it, which you know it 
it's their universe they're trying to make everything feel connected but at the same time it, it would be more visually interesting if i was able to go to an each film and see a director's interpretation of these superheroes and like how their style would look in the film yeah and i mean we kind of got that with what we got with a uh, multiverse of madness yes with um, Raimi, yeah. and hopefully that you know continues to ring true one thing i did want to mention is i love the fact that they kind of give us the reason why everyone knows all the events of like Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, you know, that it's basically just because all the Avengers have been talking and doing press. Uh, namely, like Scott Lang, who apparently had his own podcast. Uh, there's a, a lot of Ant-Man references um, yes. within the series. So I'm wondering if like we don't get like a little cameo from Ant-Man somewhere here. Uh, you know, even if it's just on a TV screen or something, and maybe mm. that's somehow a tie-in to where Kamala's powers might be coming from, um, you know, since we know that, you know, the next film for Ant-Man is the Quantum Realm, and there's been um, a lot of speculation whether or not, you know, Kamala actually has the Quantum Bands, yes. uh, or some version of that, uh, you know, maybe that's why there's so many, like, Ant-Man references, you know, throughout this first episode. Because that whole Avengers con, there's tons of Ant-Man shit yes. going on. <laughs> and if, uh, you know, the events of Endgame would tell us anything, he's not the most popular superhero. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants a selfie with poor old Ant-Man, so. But, I mean, maybe that's changed now. Getting into the side characters some, we're quickly introduced to kind of like all the people in Kamala's life. Her strict mother, Maniba, her fun-loving father, Yusuf, and her brother, Amir, who all try to give her, you know, tidbits of advice before her driving tests that she proceeds to horrendously fail by flooring it in reverse into her driving inspector's car. Throughout the show, we can see Kamala drifting off into her own, you know, imagination, which is reflected in the world around her, which is done in a kind of similar style to the comic book-like graphics of Into the Spider-Verse, which the directors themselves have said that this series is kind of inspired by. Yes, I could totally see that. Um, I thought they did a great job of, like, introducing, like, her family unit and everything, mm -hmm. and, like, right off the bat like making them extremely like lovable which is which isn't an easy task to do in such a short amount of time but it goes a long way to add weight to a scene that we get later on in the episode which we'll talk about her super active imagination also seems to be a plot point in the show as it's constantly brought up by her mother who claims it runs in the family as kamala's grandmother was the same way this really felt like the very first hint of the origin story of her powers um, which I'm sure we're going to see, you know, kind of unveiled, you know, in upcoming episodes. We also get a look at the typical TV high school when we meet the rest of Kamala's supporting cast and her best friends, Bruno and Nakia, along with the high school's it girl, Zoe Zimmer. All before Kamala goes to meet with her guidance counselor, Mr. Wilson, who tries to get Kamala thinking about, you know, what she's going to do for the rest of her life or what she wants to be when she grows up, essentially. What a fucking heel name, Zoe Zimmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only in comic books right um, uh, or the wrestling ring she's got a strong cast of characters around her uh, her two best friends are straight from the comics uh, the high school scenes did kind of give off this kind of like Disney channel like vibe to me yeah. which isn't necessarily a bad thing I feel like this is the first like Marvel series that I would be okay with my daughter watching but as of right now it did feel like an even lighter, more innocent take on high school 
than what we even got in like you know the spider-man films yeah i was gonna say it felt even like a little bit more sitcom-y than we've we got in the spider-man films yeah yeah i mean that all can change i mean this was really our first introduction you know to the high school um mm-hmm. but i do feel like it's important for kamala's story that we do get like an authentic representation of what it's like to be a high schooler you know at her age the strength of the character is how relatable she is. She is very much like almost like a modern day Peter Parker. Um, and why Peter Parker works so well is because he was so relatable. Like he felt like, you know, a real teenager at the time. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I don't want it to go like Degrassi high and shit like on us, but. <laughs> yes, please uh, keep Drake away from this show. I also don't want it to be like Descendants or fucking zombie or, you know, whatever show my daughter's making me watch. <laughs> Over and over again, Christian. <laughs> she's not making you watch the uh, the new luchador superhero show Disney's doing. No, but she did get excited for it. like. There's some new like supervillain show. Like it's a family of supervillains. Oh and yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> sounds like sounds like her speed. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> no, right. She does love herself a good villain. So. With introductions out of the way, we get to the kind of like plot of this episode as Kamala and her best friend Bruno must find a way to get to the first ever Avenger Con so she can debut her Captain Marvel cosplay. Kamala is hesitant to ask her parents to take her to the con because of her strict mother's beliefs and lack of trust in Kamala. But with some additional convincing from her brother Amir, Kamala's mother decides to let her go, but only if she goes with her father, both dressed in like this homemade Hulk costume which Kamala immediately shoots down, hurting both of her parents' feelings in the process. Man, this scene was both hilarious and heartbreaking at the same time. That's kind of what I was talking about, like what a great job the directors did, like Mm -hmm. really kind of establishing these characters right off the bat. Because you could just feel like their souls being crushed and like how desperately they're trying to like hang on to Kamala, you know, as a child. But, you know, she at this point is, you know, trying to be an adult and really express herself in her fandom, which I feel like is going to be like one of the main conflicts, you know, throughout the series. Damon, I would have gone with her dad in the whole costume. <laughs> I, I, I thought it. the same thing. <laughs> but the look she gave her dad is the same look Ava gives me nowadays, you know, at the ripe age of seven. So I was like, oh, my uh-huh. God, what am I in for when she's a teenager? <laughs> Kamala, with you know some encouragement from Bruno, doesn't let her parents' disapproval get in her way, though, as she devises a wild plan to still get to AvengerCon. Also, AvengerCon wants you know people to bring something unique to their cosplay for the contest, so Kamala decides to bring a bangle from a box of her grandmother's old things that we saw her mother was quick to hide away in the attic as soon as the box arrived from her grandmother's house. Yeah, this is the band that we saw in the trailers that seems to be the source of Kamala's, you know, new powers, uh, which could possibly be the quantum bands. And just seeing like how fast Kamala's mom grabbed the box away from her once she saw the band made me start to wonder like whether or not like possibly her grandmother was like some version of Quasar in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, who we know in the comics, you know, rocks the, you know, quantum bands. Maybe superheroine is part of her family's legacy. I mean, her mom having, you know, like a traumatic past with her grandmother, you know, being a superhero could play into a lot of why she wants, you know, even more control over Kamala's life and, uh, 
over why she has such a disdain towards like heroes like you know Captain Marvel. Maybe she knows that's actually part of Kamala's destiny, and you know, knowing how overprotective she is, she's just trying to like you know get in the way and stop that from happening. Going to Avenger Con, nothing goes the way that Kamala had planned, but still, her and Bruno make it there, where just about all of Jersey City seems to be at along with the, you know, popular girl Zoe. Here Kamala puts on this mysterious wristband from her grandmother before walking on stage in which immediately imbued with cosmic power and her body seems to kind of fall into another realm and then reappear at the con. But with the final call for the contest happening, she doesn't question what just went down and instead gets on stage where she accidentally launches some cosmic energy from her hand, which kind of jostles free the head of an Ant-Man in his giant man form statue that starts rolling free in the con. The crowd is kind of unaware of this being part of her costume or not and continues to cheer on before realizing the danger that they're truly in. And just like the rest of them, you know, Zoe is lost in the amazement of congratulating the masked Kamala as a giant Mjolnir comes down and quite comically knocks Zoe right into the air, which Kamala then makes the save, stretching out kind of like an arm of cosmic energy to catch Zoe before running out of the con. I love at this point that the citizens of the Marvel Universe are just so used to superpowers that they don't just, you know, get up and run once they see this happening. Uh -huh. And they're just kind of enjoying the shock and awe of, you know, what's, you know, taking place. Also, like, where's this Avengers con taking place? Like, it's in, like, a back alley somewhere? <laughs> it looks I like, like it. <laughs> I was like, I've never been at a convention that looks like this. Like, no, it was sketchy. <laughs> it was a little odd. Like, it felt like a club that they were going into, uh -huh. something, too. And then just the way it was organized, I was like, okay, come on now. Marvel, you could do a better convention than this. But, I mean, I think it was just them, like, leaning into the comic book of things, you know, um, just with the look and everything. I will say, I thought the CGI was well done here. That was a little bit of a concern for me after what we saw, you know, in Moon Knight and, you know, the She-Hulk trailer. Mm -hmm. um, I do like how her powers work so far. I've said it before. I'm not a huge fan of, you know, stretchy powers, you know, uh, so I I'm totally cool with, you know, her having kind of that ability, but it's more of a like an energy like coming from her and i think in the past we kind of compared it to you know green lantern's powers oh yeah um and i'm wondering if she's gonna start being able to like do like almost like constructs and stuff like that you know with the band i mean that's the vibe i got from it especially um in a scene later on when she's trying to get back into her house and it just you know what she needs appears you know Exactly, exactly. You know, where in the comic books, she would just, you know, stretch one of her legs to yeah. reach the roof. <laughs> um, but like we were saying, effects wise, this has to be a lot cheaper to, you know, pull off. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, like, I think it's visually cooler looking than, you know, someone stretching their limbs out. I always, I don't know, something about that always grosses me out. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, do their bones grow too? Like, I have what's no the stability clue. in that? I have no clue. <laughs> We're going to find out in the Fantastic Four film, though, right? They'll probably won't get into that. <laughs> I could see Reed explaining all of that. With Kamala, like, saving the school mean girl, I'm wondering if we're going to have, like, a Flash Thompson, Peter Parker scenario where we see Zoe start to, like, you know, hero worship, you know, Miss Marvel. No, that's definitely the way that they're going to go with that kind of character. Though I did like that Kamala, like, spent zero effort trying to just move her out of the way, which would have been <laughs> the easiest thing to do in that scene. <laughs> 
You're right. Her and Bruno make it back to Kamala's house, but it's way past the point her father would have checked in on her. So when she does actually sneak back into her room, she's met with a very upset mom. Her mother claims she's trying to protect her from herself and again brings up Kamala's grandmother and how she knows what happens when people get obsessed with their fantasies. And before leaving the room, her mother tells her to think on who she wants to be, the good girl they raised her to be or this you know cosmic head in the clouds person, in which Kamala, when alone, looking at her now glowing hand of cosmic energy, knows exactly what she wants to be. So I thought this was a really strong start to the series and I I feel like Aman Vellani is really doing a great job of like capturing the essence of Miss Marvel so far. I'm guessing at a certain point, like things are going to get too real for her and she starts to question her decision on whether or not, you know, she wants to live this life as, you know, an Avenger or if she wants to go back and, you know, being her mother's daughter. That just seems like a natural crossroads for, you know, any young hero to come across. I mean, I'm not going to lie, for some reason, that moment when she backed the car up into her inspector's uh, car, I was like, they're, they're making her so unlikable. But <laughs> I, I couldn't stand that moment. I was like, why would you not have at least looked down to put it in drive? That makes no sense. So you didn't like her because she can't drive? You're saying? For, like for two seconds. And then the, I watched the rest of the episode and I was fine with it. I, I definitely think they captured the spirit of this bar. I just love that being a bad driver is where you draw a line. <laughs> I drive a lot, David, and uh, I can't stand it. <laughs> Stay off the road when Christian's around. Yes, please. Got it. After the credits, we also saw what seems to be two damage control agents looking over footage from AvengerCon, claiming they're going to need to bring Kamala in now. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for this. We actually got an after credits scene like the first episode of a Marvel series. So usually they hold off on those until like, you know, halfway through or till the very end. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, the last time we saw them was uh, during Spider-Man No Way Home when they were interrogating uh, Peter Parker. Uh, after his identity was revealed to the public. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how exactly they come into play during the series. Are they the rude awakening that I was kind of talking about with Kamala when it comes to, you know, the reality of being a superhero in the, you know, Marvel Universe? Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. As long as they're more involved than what we got with uh, Hawkeye and the cop that, you know, I thought was going to like bring some reckoning to uh, Kate, yeah, they, but I guess not. <laughs> they just kind of disappeared, right? Yeah, they show up later, but it has nothing to do with her at that point. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> I'm wondering, too, if they somehow like shape her viewpoint on being a hero. Because if you remember in Champions, like one of the reasons why she put together the team was not only to like protect these different like neighborhoods, but also to like help like rebuild like these communities after the aftermath of, you know, these like big like superhero events. Um, you know, that was that was an aspect of the book that kind of made them stand out, you know, from the pack when it comes to the rest of the, you know, Marvel Universe teams, mm -hmm. um, you know, that she felt like it was important for, you know, them to stick around, you know, and make their presence felt. And one of the things that damage control does is, you know, they pick up the mess that superheroes leave behind. And I could be stretching here, but I could see that aspect, you know, helping shape the hero she becomes realizing that there's consequences for all the destruction and you know damage that's left behind after you know saving the day 
And I'm not saying she's joining damage control or anything, <laughs> but maybe it helps her see like, you know, life isn't just a comic book. Well, I could definitely see, you know, this version of her powers as well being something very useful in the eyes of damage control and in the, you know, concept of, you know, rebuilding things as well. No, I agree. I agree. I'm just not sure how up and up like damage control is in the MCU at this mm-hmm. point. So, um, but it doesn't mean she can't learn a lesson from them. But all right, with that said, make sure you join us for another recap of Miss Marvel next week. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming saw the kickoff of the summer of gaming events that, you know, try to fill in that void of E3. And while that continues to go on, we will be covering it live on our Twitch and talk more in depth about what went down next episode of the podcast. But for now, I wanted to, you know, put my two cents in on a recent discussion I've been seeing online about remakes in the gaming industry. Uh, This sparked up quite a bit after the leaks of Naughty Dog's assets for The Last of Us came out this week, and then of course them actually showing off the first trailer for their ground up remake of The Last of Us Part 1. My general impressions I had of the trailer while I was live reacting to it was, you know, positive for the most part. I could see a lot of the updates that they had put into it, and I liked that it was coming to, you know, PC as well. But their models to me at the same time looked a lot more aged up than I expected it to, and, you know, maybe a little bit too similar to how they look in The Last of Us Part 2, like Ellie looked more like a de-aged version of herself from Part 2 in comparison to the original game footage they put side by side where Ellie looked more of like her her own age in that, you know, but honestly, I feel like, you know, that comes off a bit nitpicky in general, when in reality, the heart of this conversation is more, is this, you know, remake coming out way too soon? The Last of Us came out in 2013, so we are approaching a decade since its initial release, and there have been tons of technical advancements in gaming, but I do have a similar feeling to a lot of voices out there where it feels like this title isn't due for a remake just yet, and I feel like there's many facts that are at play here. The sequel, which only came out two years ago, is still highly regarded and fresh in everyone's minds, and I believe a lot of people that were into the franchise also hopped back into the remaster right before part two's release. On top of that, the remaster itself still holds up, enough so where it doesn't feel like there's been enough of a graphical change or gameplay itself. It's not like the case of, you know, a lot of the recent Resident Evil remakes that have been fully revamped and, you know, are bringing in a brand new experience to their classic titles. Like, I am fully ready for a big remake of Resident Evil 4, and I think that game will be amazing if done similarly to, like, the Resident Evil 2 remake that we just got. And while I am intrigued by, you know, the AI updates to the game, um, and Neil Druckmann actually stated that they're making it closer to their original, like, vision that they had intended, which I do think is awesome they even get the opportunity to do so, but when you stack the remaster next to what's shown off in the remake, it begs to wonder if this is something we needed just yet. You know, the consumer, when they hear the word remake, you know, it makes them expect more, I feel. And while Naughty Dog will deliver a fantastic game either way, the question really becomes, should there be longer gaps before a full remake is even done? You know, let us know what you think about it on social media and make sure to check us out on Twitch as we will be live reacting to Xbox's big showcase this weekend, as well as trying out some of the demos coming out on PC. So you're definitely going to want to follow us on Twitch to get that live notification. But with all that said, let's move on to wrestling. 
It's okay. Here's the bad news. The bad news is I'm injured and I need surgery. A couple of things are broken. The biggest one is my heart. Because I love nothing more than performing for all of you and I wanted to go on one hell of a run. That's the bad news. The good news is I can still do all that. All right, so it was a pretty insane week of wrestling, uh, and the biggest cause of all the craziness, unfortunately, was injuries. Uh, starting with AEW, after winning the heavyweight title after a nine-month journey and being away from the business for seven years, uh, CM Punk has come up injured. Apparently, this happened uh, during his first Dynamite Ash Champ uh, in a trios match with FTR versus the Acclaimed and the Ass Boys. Uh, it looks to be something to do with his foot, although they haven't been completely clear exactly what that is. He did say he had a couple broken bones, uh, you know, but Damn. it requires surgery. Details were definitely light as he stood in front of the crowd and somberly announced that he was going to be on the shelf for a while. But apparently he's not relinquishing the title. Uh, this did, however, cause some confusion with the announcers who were stating that he was actually relinquishing the title. This was Jericho, actually, who kept on mentioning it uh, for the rest of the broadcast uh, as they ran down how a new champ was going to be crowned. Kind of. It was honestly a hot mess, and uh, it really made AEW feel very Bush League, uh, unfortunately. Everything was cleared up by the next day as AEW released a statement clarifying the situation, which is Punk will still be the champion, but while he heals up, there'll be an interim champion named. Uh, how this is going to be done is unfortunately pretty convoluted on Dynamite, uh, as we saw the winner of a casino battle royal, uh, which opened the show, would move on to face the number one contender, which was John Moxley, in the main event of the same show. Uh, they then, in turn, would be moving on to face the winner of a New Japan Dominion match, which is taking place this weekend uh, between Tanahashi and Goto. Why? I have no clue. Um, I get Tanahashi, but like fucking Goto. I mean, he hasn't even been champ of New Japan, right? No. Has he won the New Japan like heavyweight title ever? I don't think ever. So, I don't know. It feels very just thrown together just for the sake of, you know, being thrown together. Like, they wanted Tanahashi to have to earn the match at yeah. Forbidden Door. But, I don't know. I feel like they could have found a better challenger, at least, for him. Someone who, like, you would at least give a shot at winning. You never know. This could be Goto's year, right? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> he has great matches but i've never been a goto guy uh, so he's just kind of there for me also what i don't understand and i'm not alone in this is exactly like just how is moxley the number one contender like because earlier on in the week it was wardlow mm -hmm. uh, then moxley had a win against uh daniel garcia on dynamite and he somehow jumped up like four spots to be the number one contender um, which was pretty convenient with everything going on. Uh, it just, I don't know, it really shines such a big spotlight on the fact that, you know, you know, AEW's ranking system is just kind of a joke. Mm. And, you know, I mean, obviously it's a storyline gimmick and whatever, but I, I, 
it, it just takes a lot of like mental gymnastics to really make this make sense at all. And I understand, like, well, at least I did understand at first, like, why Tony didn't want to do another tournament so shortly after the Owen Cup. But I mean, <laughs> you've got to do better than this, especially since, like, on this week's episode, they just all of a sudden announced, you know, a brand new championship, the All-Atlantic title, which is going to be kind of like an international, you know, belt. And the winner is going to be crowned during a fucking tournament. <laughs> So, I mean, maybe that was already in the works, and that's why they were like, okay, well, we can't have two tournaments happening. I don't know. It just, I understand why they want to do an interim champion. Like, you want to have the belt out there, especially if Punk is only going to be away for, like, you know, a couple months. Mm -hmm. You know, it sucks that you have to strip him of the title, um, you know, especially after such a big win. And I know they do it in other sports, but, like, the interim belt always feels less than so i don't know it, it just kind of just feels like a, a futile like exercise and just trying to do something for the sake of doing something um you know i mean it, it and i guess like part of it is wanting to have a championship match at forbidden door which mm -hmm. i understand um but I mean, like, it sounds like right away, like once Punk is healthy, they're going to have a unification match between the interim champion and Punk. So, and you know, in your heart of hearts that Punk's just going to win that match, right? Oh, absolutely. So I don't know. It just feels like you're just kind of going through the motions, right? Well, at least it feels like it's further out than what we got with like Cody and um, Sammy, well, where that was just like a two week that mashup. Was, that was absurd. That yes. was absurd. Now, I think in New Japan, like, if you can't defend the title, you just get stripped mm -hmm. of the title. Like, maybe do something like that. Um, but, like, I don't know, man. It's just, I mean, it's a no-win situation. It sucks. Like, it sucks that Punk is out. It's just horrible timing and everything. Man, I really hope that he didn't hurt himself on fucking diving into the crowd. A lot uh -huh. of people <laughs> are pointing to that. Although there are people saying that wasn't the case at all. Um but I don't know. I don't know. It, it It is kind of coincidental. Like he did come up limping a little like after he jumped. In. <laughs> but maybe he heard it a little before, you know, the night before. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I just assumed it was all the like springboard moves he was doing where he kept trying to do the buckshot lariat and landing awkwardly on his foot. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, freak shit happens. I mean, mm -hmm. these guys are professional athletes. Um, but sometimes you just got to roll with the punches and like <sighs> I just hope that AEW has learned their lesson from, like, the way that this announcement was made. That, like, don't announce shit until you yourself are completely clear exactly what you're fucking doing. Mm -hmm. You know? And at least clue in the announcers. Like, the fact that, like, Jericho kept on saying, oh, he's relinquishing the title. You know? And, like, if you listen to the promo, like, Punk clearly says that he's not doing that. That Tony said he wants him to hold on to the belt. So I don't know, like, I don't know if Jericho got, you know, lost or wasn't paying attention, uh, but no one was correcting him. So yeah, it's I was really like, strange. Is no one in his ear during this, like telling him, hey, stop saying that. Yeah, like, I don't know what the fuck was going on, but it was just a mess. And you know, because even in like the screen graphic that they put up, it wasn't completely clear, you know, at the end of the show. Because it, it made it sound like that Moxley would then go on and, like, fight the winner of the Battle Royal at uh, Forbidden Door. You know, and then they didn't, like, really clarify, like, who was going to be 
like fighting for the belt from New Japan. So that didn't like come out until like the day after. So it's like, well, just wait then, you know, just say, mm-hmm. tell like, you know, the fans, you know, stay tuned to our social media. You know, we'll have a big announcement coming soon, you know, before Dynamite. That's all you have to do. And that way you're just kind of like getting buzz going, you know, instead of just confusing the fuck out of your fans and making yourselves look like buffoons. So I know I'm probably being a little hard on them, but <laughs> I mean, come on. Like <laughs> it was kind of a mess. Because honestly, I would have been fine with them just saying Moxley's the number one contender. We're going to have him face off against the number one uh, contender from New Japan and, you know, just have it be like that cut and dry. So, I mean, a battle royal for the sake of a battle royal, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. Now, I will say tonight's casino battle royal, we're recording this on Wednesday, was actually probably the best battle royal AEW's ever done. Um, they actually had like, you know, some big names in the battle Royal. I was scared that it was going to be like a couple big names. And then like most of the roster from AEW dark, uh-huh. but we did have people like Keith Lee in the match and, uh, Darby Allen and Eddie Kingston, um, you know, Swerve was in the match. Uh, we had, uh, team Taz out there, Andrade returned, so as the Joker, because once they said Casino Battle Royal, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to have another fucking surprise. Like, new signees <laughs> show up during this match, too. I was like, please stop. <laughs> please stop. You know, if he people. doesn't say, oh, we have a big surprise coming, there's there's no one coming. I you don't know. know. No I don't know, because I feel like every Casino Battle Royal, like there has been like a new signing attached. So mm-hmm. where I was actually like relieved this year that there was no Casino Battle Royal during Double or Nothing. <laughs> Uh, just because the the roster's so bloated at this point, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, uh, the the match was good. Uh, we, a huge surprise, we saw Kyle O'Reilly actually win the thing, um, which I was excited for Kyle O'Reilly because it does feel like he's getting kind of like a mini push right now, especially after picking up the win against Darby um, yeah. during the pay per view. But at the same time, it was like, okay, well, there's no way you know Kyle is beating Moxley in the main event. You know, so it kind of, I don't know, lessens the lure for the, you know, main event. Um, you know, whereas if like Andrade won or Keith Lee won, I feel like there'd be higher stakes. Like you'd be questioning, okay, well, could Keith Lee walk away and, you know, actually challenge, you know, for this interim title at the pay-per-view or Andrade for that matter. So, um, but Kyle, like there was no way I could possibly see him you know getting because i feel like you know it's definitely going to be an AEW guy walking away with mm-hmm. that title although it would be a cool like swerve if you did have like tanahashi win the belt and i'm just assuming the tanahashi is going to be the guy challenging for it um but you know i, I feel like it's going to be an AEW guy so you know pretty much that whole mystery is gone you know with this pay-per-view but it is what it is like i said they're in a tight spot but kyle it's cool, and I'm glad that he's getting a spotlight. I'm glad that he's getting a push right now. But I don't know. When he won, I was like, okay, well, you know, I mean, I'm going to watch the fucking main event. And it was a fantastic main event, but I'm not as invested as, as I would be, where if it was like a bigger name. I could see them maybe in a year doing this again. Well, a situation where they have Kyle O'Reilly, you know, get a massive win and actually go forward, though. Like, I, I see them pushing him to that point. Do you think they're starting to plant seeds um, 
towards another like Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly feud. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think they're going to do it again for sure. Somewhere down the line, right? Mm-hmm. So there were some notable names not part of the Battle Royal, and they did at least try to make sense of some of them because like people like Hangman Page weren't in the Battle Royal who just lost the title. So you would think that that would automatically make him a contender, you know, for this interim championship. Mm-hmm. Um Page came out and he challenged Okada after his match with uh, uh, Finlay. Uh, he alluded to the fact that he was in the Battle Royal and he said something about, you know, not, you know, being a contender for a little bit for that belt, I guess. I don't know. It was kind of like half ass. <laughs> um, I would have much rather had them say something along the lines of what Wardlow said, which was, you know, I would much rather, you know, face Punk, you know, and beat him for the title fair and square than, you know, walk around with, you know, an interim championship right now. Because that's pretty much war- what Wardlow said. Tony Schiavone came out, did an interview with him, and Schiavone asked Wardlow, why weren't you in the Battle Royal? And Wardlow mentioned, you know, I want to beat, you know, Punk, you know, for the belt. I don't want to, you know, waste my time with an interim title. Basically, which kind of does diminish the whole process and the whole yeah. like <laughs> program, but it is what it is. Um, you know, at least they're trying to give like a rational reason why Wardlow was not going to be in that battle royal, mm-hmm. which I get it. Like he's, I don't, I don't feel like the time is right for him to be, you know, AEW like champion, and at least you're able to like kind of like you know sow those seeds for an eventual match between him and Punk down the line. Because he did mention that he almost beat Punk, you know, months ago. When it comes to Adam Page, I I really thought they were going to play more into the whole, like, anxious millennial cowboy bit and, like, have him kind of doubting himself and saying that he's not ready yet or he's not deserving of challenging for the belt. Um, but, you know, there is a belt that he wants to go for, or, you know, he feels like he has to prove himself before he does that, you know, by winning the New Japan title. So, I don't know, it, it felt a little, I don't know, half-assed, like I said, you know, when it came to, like, you know, Adam Page's reasoning, but at least they gave a reason, mm-hmm. um, instead of just kind of, like, sweeping it underneath the rug. Because I understand why you don't want Page also losing the Battle royal. although I think he would have been fine, honestly, and you could have played that into his whole storyline. Uh, a lot of fans were pointing out that he was drinking during the match again. It was after the match. It wasn't during the match. Oh, it was after? I think it was after. he jumps out and then uh, hits Finley, and then he walks over to someone in the crowd and drinks Does he? Beer. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so At maybe I'm wrong. that's the spot that's shown. Maybe, that, maybe I'm wrong. So, um, but yeah, I thought I maybe he drank again after the match then. But I did, I did see him drink a beer, but I don't know. I don't think that's going to lead to anything because i didn't it's not like he just stopped <laughs> drinking he's had uh-huh. beers like throughout just not as much so mm-hmm. i don't know i will say i'm really excited to see him uh go up against okada um you know when he made the challenge adam cole did interrupt him he was doing commentary during his match which i which i thought was strange because i was like why is cole out there like he's not like in a running feud with you know hangman anymore uh, mm-hmm. But then it all made sense when Cole interrupted him, basically said that Hangman's not worthy of going after the New Japan title. Cole is currently injured, but it sounds like he'll be healthy enough to have a match at Forbidden Door. So we'll see if he's inserted into that match. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I get it. You want something for Cole to do, but at the same time, I think I'd be more interested in a one-on-one match between Hangman and Okada. Um, and I, it feels like New Japan doesn't do many like three-way dances, so that'll be a little different, especially when the title is like on the line. But I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I don't know if it's a situation where he can have a qualifying match and maybe loses to Hangman and then tries to like interact or interfere. Maybe it's a case that New Japan feels like, you know, the AEW wrestlers also need to qualify to face mm-hmm. their champion, which would make sense. So um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Because then where does it leave you, though, with Adam Cole for that card? And we don't have any like matches really announced at this point. Um, just a whole lot of rumors and speculation. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm assuming he's going to be doing something with like the Bullet Club because they already kind of started that storyline when, mm-hmm. you know, Forbidden Door was first announced. And we do know that Jay White is actually wrestling Okada, I believe, this weekend at Dominion. So, I mean, there is a chance that Jay White is the champion when like Forbidden Door comes around. Um, but I feel like that's doubtful at best, right? <laughs> be pretty crazy so i mean i could see that i mean and you know new japan does book closely to the vest sometimes Mm -hmm. so i mean they don't like to announce like cards until like the following card is done with so we'll see how many like matches we have announced you know and how like you know far before the pay-per-view that actually takes place um, you know, because even though, you know, they have a big house in Chicago for the pay-per-view, you know, they still have to get pay-per-view buys. So you would think that they want some big matches announced, you know, and I guess you at least have the championship, you know, match, you know, um, pretty much done with right now. But, you know, the rest of the card is kind of a, you know, a blank slate. So um, I'm really hoping that we get uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus uh, Brian Danielson. Um you know, that's a dream match. Brian Danielson, though, is actually injured right now. Uh, but all signs point to him <laughs> being back by Forbidden Door, at least. So okay, thank God. he was not on Dynamite whatsoever. I don't think he was right. He wasn't on the show last week either. No. So, yeah, yeah, he's pretty banged up right now. But so is half the roster, it seems like. You know, I guess we are actually going to have the All-Atlantic title uh crowned at forbidden door so that's another Mm -hmm. you know match that they do have announced uh right now it looks like that is going to be a four-way match and that's gonna be taking place between the winners of each bracket and they wasted no time uh on dynamite we had the first match take place right after the announcement uh between pack and buddy murphy it was a fantastic match uh we saw pack picking up the win so i guess he'll automatically be entered into the four-way match at the pay-per-view uh the rest of the brackets um we'll see miro facing ethan page we have malachi black facing off against penta and then we have a New Japan bracket uh, with two unannounced wrestlers right now. So I don't know if that's going to happen at Dominion or another show. But it'll be interesting to see who ends up representing New Japan in that match. And I could actually see a world where like the New Japan guy actually ends up winning the title. Um, sp- since this is supposed to be like an international belt and they have a working agreement with New Japan. I mean, it'd be a pretty cool twist to have like the first winner of that belt to be a new Japan guy. So, and like it works perfectly with the whole international gimmick. Cause these are all guys from different countries 
you know, in mm-hmm. this tournament. So, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Because honestly, I was going to say, let's predict who's going to win, but we can't really do that <laughs> without know. knowing who the New Japan wrestlers are. So it'd be pretty awesome to see like Shingo or Ishii. I would like to see that, but I feel like they're going to pick someone from their junior division. Why, that's why who- is that? Because I feel like a lot of their fatal four ways that I've seen in New Japan are usually with the um, junior division. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like a junior title. So, and they do like to stay true to their weight divisions. So I don't see them putting up one of their junior guys against like Miro, you know, because that's, (laughs) I mean, there's no way Miro's not in this match. Uh-huh. You know, I love Ethan Page, but Miro's going to end up killing him. And honestly, the only reason why I don't think Miro's walking away with a title, or I'm the only reason I'm not assuming it's not just a given that Miro's walking away with the title is because it's a four-way, so they mm-hmm. can get away with pinning someone else. So, um, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I could see what like who would you put in there? I'm not sure. I'm I'm thinking like. For some reason, I keep bringing up uh, Kushida, who's not even like signed to New Japan right now, showing up. Uh, but other than that, maybe Taiji or uh, Hiramu. Hiramu would be cool because you do want your bigger names on the card. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I want their bigger names on the card. I don't know how New Japan feels, uh, but you know, and I'm sure it's going to be about like you know trying to get like you know their you know main stars you know on the pay per view. So. Um, you know, uh, who who knows? To go back to the interim championship, do you think that they're going to end up having that Punk first, you know, whoever match at uh, All Out? Uh, or do you, if it, or do you think that's going to be a, a to, like a TV match or a Night of Champions or whatever the hell they call it? Yeah, I feel like it'll be probably closer to one of those where it's a TV match and, um, you know, then they'll build up to something bigger at All Out. Because like you said, they want to, as soon as he comes back, it sounds like they want to have him have that match. Yeah. Like immediately. And I guess it depends on when he actually comes back. Like if it is Mm -hmm. like super close to, you know, All Out. I mean, Moxley and First Punk is a pretty big fucking match. Yeah, that would be huge. So, but it is going to be strange because that's, you know, babyface versus babyface. You know, but I mean, we've been speculating for a a little bit now, um, you know, since, you know, the start of the Hangman, you know, Punk feud, that perhaps Punk would be turning heel sooner than later. So, I mean, maybe that's what, you know, actually gets the ball rolling. It's not a storyline he's a stranger to, you know, coming back as a heel with the title. No, that is true. That is true. But uh, speaking of injuries, and we don't typically talk about WWE anymore, uh, did you see the Cody and Seth Hell in the Cell match? I mean, there's there was nowhere I could go where I didn't see that giant black mass on Cody's <laughs> shoulder. Like, Jesus. Uh-huh, right. But did you actually see the match itself? No, I haven't actually seen the match. Okay. It was a hell of a match. I definitely recommend checking it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it really like elevates Cody into like legendary status now. Um, as long as, you know, WWE is able to follow it up. Um, mm-hmm. The fact, one, the, that he got three wins against Seth Rollins in a company that, you know, is notorious for 50-50 booking is pretty amazing. It tells you all you need to know about how they view Cody right now. I mean, they definitely see him as like the number two guy behind Roman at the moment. So um, 
hopefully they're going to push him to the moon. Uh, he's going to be out for a long, long time. Uh, Torn Pack takes a long time to heal. Um, but it as a match, I mean, it's great theater. Um, you know, the match itself was great and, you know, super entertaining. But just from the very start, you know, with Cody, like, revealing, you know, the bruising and just the horrendousness of the injury like it I, i've never quite experienced something like this where like it literally like the crowd was like on their feet for cody's entrance and everything super excited you know singing along to the song he you know gets in the ring you know and he's totally like milking it waiting to take off the jacket and when he finally does the crowd just goes silent you know and then like for the first like four minutes of the match there's like this like murmuring that you're hearing going on. Mm-hmm. It's like the crowd just like in like this awkward shock, you know, like, <laughs> is this okay that we're watching this? Like that type of deal. <laughs> like, um, because I had the same reaction. I was like, should he be fucking wrestling? And a lot of people were kind of questioning like WWE, like, you know, whether or not they should have let him out there wrestling. But I mean, I think it was kind of a case of like, you can't injure it anymore at this point. Um, you know, you could always overcompensate and hurt something else, but since he was already like scheduled for surgery, like I think like the next couple of days, they were like, okay, just work a smart match, be careful. Now, whether or not they did that, that's questionable. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but I mean, it does nothing but like put over the guy's like toughness and really adds to like his storyline of just being determined to like eventually like you know gain that WWE, you know, title that his father never was able to do. So, um, I don't know, man. I mean, my hat's off to him because he just had to be in grueling pain the entire time. Seth was wearing polka dots, you know, trying to get into Cody's head. Um, and then Cody, he pulled out a bull rope, you know, honoring his dad. Um, you know, so they didn't have to like really resort to like tons of brutality that you would typically see in a Hell in a Cell match. Mm-hmm. Like the injury itself was enough to kind of like garner that like visceral experience that you would typically get out of a Cell match. Um, you know, that being said, I still can't wrap my head around a WWE Hell in a Cell match nowadays, especially without blood, especially with Cody Rhodes in the match, and there not being blood, knowing like, you know, AEW Cody, like he hits a fucking turnbuckle, and he's fucking blading. <laughs> Where uh-huh. here, he's like getting his face grinded against the, you know, the um, steel cage and like not a single drop of blood. So, um, you know, that kind of took me out of it, but I mean, this was like Jordan's like flu game, honestly, like, you know, to bring a sports analogy into, you know, play, it really felt like something that like people will be talking about for years to come. And you can already like see like WWE, like, you know, pulling the production team in and working together a great like video montage of this whole like match. And then, you know, the journey back into the ring over the next like six, seven months, um, you know, a lot of people are saying that, you know, he may like, you know, re-debut at Royal Rumble, which timeline wise makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, it's <laughs> and this is horrible to say, but like for me, it feels like almost like a blessing disguise because it feels like WWE can't fuck up 
his like run, like, you know, if he's on the shelf. So where I could see them doing something to screw him up, like screw him up over the next like couple months before WrestleMania. No, um, you're exactly right. But I just I mean, who knows what they have in the cards for him? Like, you know, was he destined to win like Money in the Bank? Was he destined to like, you know, fight for the title at SummerSlam? Because, I mean, it feels like Roman and, like, The Rock are already, like, a no-brainer for WrestleMania. So where does that leave Cody at, if that's the case? Mm -hmm. Um, It is, you know, a two-night show now. So do you have, like, Cody wrestle Roman, like, the first night? Or, like, have Rock and, you know, Roman the first night? And then the winner of that goes on to face Cody? Like, you know, how do you work it? I'm not sure, you know, do they end up splitting up the titles? You know, like, is it not a unified belt by the time they get to WrestleMania and there's someone else holding that title that Cody can go up against, you know, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a long ways away. So, I mean, there's so many different like avenues that they can like travel down. Um, But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it seems to like the feud between Seth and Cody is going to continue on raw Seth came out, seemed like he was working a babyface turn, you know, congratulated Cody, you know, basically saying that he's earned his respect. And it was the gutsiest performance he's ever seen in the ring. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of credit does need to go out to Seth because Seth was fantastic in the match. But he shook his hand and then he went to the back. And then once Cody started to make his long way up the ramp, you know, kind of milking it, you knew right then and there that Seth was going to come out and jump him. And sure enough, that's what happened. You know, Seth came out with a sledgehammer, hit him in the back of the head, went after his pack. Um, and then, like you know, a bunch of officials chased him off. Uh, Cody still was allowed to walk off, uh, you know, on his own two feet, though. They made a point of doing that. Um, So they Uh didn't like try to like, you know, bury all the, you know, goodwill that he's gotten. They didn't want the Mm -hmm. last thing you saw, like, you know, with, you know, be like Cody being stretchered off, uh, which I thought was smart. Um, But I just don't know if we really needed the angle. Um, You know, maybe they were trying to like gain heat again for Seth. Um, But, you know, I'm hoping that that's not his first program back. Um, so we'll see what happens. Cause I mean, nine months is a long time. So who the fuck knows where Seth is going to be right now. They're desperate in desperate need of like baby faces and the crowd actually likes Seth, you know? So Mm -hmm. I could see eventually them wanting to turn Seth, you know, baby face just because, you know, they need more baby faces so much so that it looks like they turned edge baby face now that Cody's out. So, because Raw has no baby faces whatsoever right now. You had Finn joining, you know, whatever their spooky group is called. Judgment Day. Yeah, Judgment Day. Yes, yes. The rumor is that Edge didn't want to do a supernatural gimmick with the group. um, So they decided to replace him with Finn. Um, I felt like Finn was eventually going to join up in that group. Um, I definitely did not see him like taking over as perhaps the leader. Um, but with, you know, Edge not wanting to do the spookiness and, you know, them needing baby faces, I, I guess it makes sense. Um, at least it was something different, something surprising on the show. Um, I'm not a regular watcher of Raw whatsoever, but I was like, okay, you know, once I saw like the highlights of it, I was like, I'll actually check this out and see how it got over with the crowd. And they did a pretty good job with it for the most part. Um, 
you know, I'm enjoying uh, Rhea and uh, Priest, you know, in their new personas and everything. And uh, Rhea actually won a number one contendership match uh, to face uh, Bianca Belair at the pay-per-view, which, I mean, that's a feud I've kind of wanted to see um, over the past, like, you know, month or so since Bianca won the title. So I'm glad they're headed that direction. I hope that it's a long-lasting program. But yeah, I would definitely go ahead and check out the Cody and Seth Hell in a Cell match. I think it's a match that's going to be on a lot of people's like best of the you know 2022 lists. Um, so do yourself a favor and check it out. But all right, with that said, make sure to join us next week for some more AEW talk. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? We'll be back breaking down episode five of Obi-Wan and the second episode of Miss Marvel. Plus, I'll be talking about the events at the Summer Games Festival and we'll be talking some more AEW. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Do you want to grab one with me? I'm Ant-Man. They're Hulk fans. Wait, they don't know no, Ant-Man. No, oh, he Nobody feels bad. does. Nobody does. No, he wants, you. I he do wants want to take a picture with him. Are yeah, look, sure? he's even saying no, he doesn't. I but get come it. Come on, the kid. I don't want it but, either. But you, I don't want a picture with him. But you, he's going to feel bad. Sorry. They're happy to. They said they'll do it. I don't want to. No, you feel bad.